0: Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts on the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God said that he had made all... Sorry. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, please keep your Bibles open. Uh, we're going to work our way through those verses. You'll be well served if you can follow along as we do that. Even though they may be familiar to some of you, there's also outlines. If you didn't get one at the door, you can go and grab one still, uh, and you can use that to take notes or follow along. Uh, or as you please. Now, I'm sure uh, most if not all of you have heard of Stonehenge. You'll have seen pictures of it, I'm I'm guessing, that that huge uh, monument. Some of you, I'm guessing, have even visited it uh, and and been there. I never have, but I can see the attraction and why people want to go there. It's pretty spectacular, isn't it? Uh, Not only is it an amazing achievement considering how old it is, but it, it, it's just it's fascinating, isn't it, this, this enormous monument in the middle of nowhere. Now what really fascinates me about Stonehenge is the fact that even though we marvel at it, we don't really know what it was for. <laughs> we don't actually know why it's there uh, or how it got there. Um, I, I, I did some reading this week and found there's lots of different theories, some of which are very plain, some of which are very fantastical. They range from it being a team-building exercise for tribes in the area, Um, not team-building in kind of our corporate sense that we understand it, but but to unite the tribes, to bring them together. Uh, Some say it's an ancient fancy cemetery. Um, It's very elaborate, if so. Uh, Some say it's an ancient observatory to, you know, look at the stars and to map the stars out. Uh, Some say it was built by the wizard Merlin as part of his pagan rituals. Uh, some say and this is my favourite—that it's built by aliens, and we just don't know why they did it. Um, I think that's cool. <laughs> Probably not very likely, but anyway. I mean, who knows? It's so old; we just don't have any clues. There's nothing written about it. There's nothing that gives us any real indication how it was used, what it was used for, how it came to be. You know, who knows why it's there? There's only really one way we could ever be certain, isn't there? <laughs> The only way we can really know for sure what it is, why it's there is to ask the builders, (laughs) ask those who made it, which obviously we can't do. So I guess we're going to have to keep on guessing. But see, that tells us something important, doesn't it? You know, the only way to truly work out uh, what something is all about, why it exists, is to ask the one who made it. (laughs) They'll tell you why it's there. They'll tell you what it's all about. And that's why the passage that we're looking at today is so important for us because we, we get to see the maker in action. <laughs> we get to see the creator creating and not just creating the world <laughs> but creating us. I think if we, if we face the world that we live in, we, we, we see that one of the great questions, even though it might not be articulated as such, that, that's, that's bubbling around our society is that question of who am I? Who am I? It's it's not just in books, it's not just in movies. It's it's a question that's that's live and that's real for so many people around us. And what's more the question then, what am I here for? What's this life all about? Why why am I here? Uh, There's lots of answers in the world around us. There's even more confusion. But really, is the question itself a bit flawed? (laughs) Can we actually ask ourselves that question? Could we ever answer that question? Could, could something that's made ever tell you why it was made? <laughs> now we need to zoom out, don't we? We need to go to our maker and to see his intention, now his description of us. And the great news is that thankfully in his making of us he tells us an awful lot about who we are. In, in this passage before us we see who we are, we see what we're here for and what's more, we see where we're going as well. And we're going to be unpacking those questions as we work our way through these verses this morning together. Uh, Last week, if you were here, you might remember that one of the key features we saw of the the creation account was the balance in it, the the symmetry and and parallelism throughout that chapter. On day one, we saw light created. On day uh, four, we see lights created to rule the light. On day two, we see the sky and sea made. On day five, we see birds to rule the sky, sea creatures to rule the sea. On day three, we see the land and plants created. On day six, we see animals to rule the world and people to rule all other things. Uh, Mark Twain once said, man was made at the end of the week's work when God was tired. (laughs) Genesis 1 says the very opposite actually. (laughs) Man was made not as an afterthought, not as, not as kind of an accident at the end of creation, but as the climax of it. <laughs> it wasn't that God creates here with leftover bits and pieces. This is the high point. <laughs> this, this is the pinnacle. And, and what a pinnacle. We, we look at the world and we, we marvel at mountains and at, and at flowers and at, and at fish and, and the intricacies of the created world. But what Genesis says is, yeah, those are amazing, but this is... This is the real amazing part. This is the centre of it all. It is humanity. (laughs) We see it in the way the account is recorded for us. Uh, We we see it in the way it's laid out. Up until now, it's been pretty quick, hasn't it? (laughs) We've moved through the entire universe, the entire uh, world and creation in in 25 verses. (laughs) But now we hit pause. Now it really slows down. Now we see God speaking and deliberating and blessing and and commissioning because here is where our attention needs to be on the creation of man. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. See, once more we see God speak humanity uh, into existence. But I don't know if you picked out the difference between the previous days of creation. Previously when God's created, he said, let there be, let there be animals, let the land produce such and such. But now, there's a slight difference, isn't there? Let us make... Let us make. All of a sudden we see, we see God reflectively conferring together that the, the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, all involved in the creation of man, deliberating together over him. And together what do they say? Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. The rest of creation is made according to its kind. It's made ordered and neat. But mankind, nothing else, is made according to God's image and likeness. There is a unique and privileged position being given to mankind here that is unlike anything else in the whole of the world. Image and likeness. But what does that mean? <laughs> that's that's a key question, isn't it? And we're actually not told much. We're actually not told really anything about what that means. We are told it's for man and woman. Look at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is a humanity thing. This is, this is all of us. It's not man nor woman created in God's image. It is man and women created in God's image. Humanity. Uh, there's clearly a function in view here where we're told that man is to rule or to have dominion. But what does that mean? How does that affect how we image God? Uh, That's a big question. I don't know if you've ever done any reading into this before, but this is a question that that fills books and books and books uh, and I don't want to take you through all of those books. But the best summary I think I've found so far is that to be an image of God, to be in God's likeness, means being his mirror and his representative. Mirror and representative. If you're writing down, those are two words uh, that are useful to record we are his mirror. That is, we are made to look like God, to reflect God wherever we are and wherever we go. That is, to reflect who he is but more importantly to reflect his light, his, his glory wherever his image bearers go. But we're also his representative. We get to go out and act on God's behalf. We're under his authority but we're created as his agents to go for him, to rule in his name, even to the very ends of the earth, to fill the earth as he sends here. I guess in some senses we're a bit like students in a school. I don't know how common this was but I remember in early high school we got called together for a special assembly uh, and the reason was this. We were told that we had to follow the uniform code uh, even out of school hours and off school property. I don't know if that's normal. Um, maybe our school was particularly bad. But we were told we had to be neat and, and proper everywhere we went. Why? Because we represented our school. <laughs> how, how we looked, how we act reflected onto our school. And so if we had untucked shirts and low socks, apparently that said bad things about our school. We all disagreed um, but that was the case. But it's a similar thing here, isn't it? This is what we're being told here. We're God's image bearers. We are representatives of God. We are reflections of God. So as we go, we're to show him. As we go to the whole world, this perfect world, remember we're still pre-fall here, we're to go and take his glory and shine his glory throughout it and fill the earth with his glory. And the point here is there's no one else to do that. Because there is no one like humanity. The whole of the creation, you can look around everything that God ever made, whether it be stars and galaxies, whether it be plants and animals, cells, atoms, DNA, whatever it would be, all of those things witness to God. But nothing else bears his image. That is only a gift given to mankind. We are uniquely privileged. We and nothing else in the entirety of creation bears his image. We have a special place and a special role in this world to look like God. But, (laughs) but, is that still true? Is that still true? Because a lot's changed since then, hasn't it? We're going to see in a couple of weeks the fall and sin entering the world. We're going to see Uh, in in weeks and months and years to come, the the rest of uh, history recorded here, uh, do we still image God? Do we still image God even as sinners? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. We know that because after the flood, Uh, God goes to Noah and he says, like to Adam and Eve, go and fill the earth and as you go, don't kill anyone. Don't shed the blood of men because men are made in my image. We see it even later in the Bible. In James' letter to the church, he says in chapter 3, don't curse men, don't speak badly of them. Why? Because they're made in God's likeness. It would be wrong to do that. See, the point is, we still bear God's image, (laughs) We, we still reflect and represent God. That's not gone. We didn't lose it in the fall. It's not just in Christians, it's in all of mankind that image of God can be seen. Now it's true, it's a bit like an abandoned derelict house. You know, it's, it's knocked around, it's, it's faded, it's cracked, it's leaking and falling apart and yet still obviously a house. So too is God's image in us. It's beaten up. It's disfigured. It's not working as it ought, but it's still recognisable. There is enough there that it can be seen. So why is that so important for us to know? (laughs) Well, it matters because it changes how we look at each other. It matters because it changes how we look at the world around us as well, how how we treat the world around us. See, if we believe that all people all people are created by God and in his image, then we will see that they are incredibly valuable, <laughs> that they're incredibly precious and we'll treat them as such because we'll understand that to do uh, the opposite is to offend God whose image they bear. I mean, just imagine, imagine I come around to your house tomorrow morning uh, and on the wall you've got a picture of yourself It's a nice picture. It's maybe your wedding picture, maybe uh, a holiday picture. You like that picture. You treasure it. But whilst you get up to make tea, I I get up and have uh, have a, a closer look at that picture, and I start to point out its flaws. See, it's actually a bit out of focus. You know, it's not really the best lighting. Actually, you've got a bit of a funny look on your face. Maybe your eyes closed. Actually, I go even a bit further. I pull out a sharpie out of my pocket and I draw a moustache on you. <laughs> maybe, some, maybe some nice glasses. I, I go a little bit further. I pull the picture off the wall and I, I stomp on it and I smash it. You're going to be offended, aren't you? you you're going to be hurt. I haven't physically attacked you, but <laughs> I've done so to your image, to, to something that represents you. You're going to be furious and rightly so. And that's why we value people. <laughs> because people aren't just pictures on a wall, they are living, breathing, acting image bearers of God. <laughs> they, are, they are precious to Him, given an enormous privilege by Him. And that applies to all humanity <laughs> to men and women, to all ethnicities and cultures, to our Indigenous uh, Australians, to those with same sex attraction, to trans- transgender. Uh, to those with mental or physical uh, disabilities, to to children, to all of humanity. All are image bearers of God. Now sadly we, and I'm talking about the church and Christianity here, we have not been good at recognising that historically. (laughs) In fact, we've been really awful at times. Far too many times we've been part of or even promoted beliefs and practices which directly contradict this. (laughs) which which devalue certain groups of people and that's wrong. And we, we need to repent of that. And we need to live differently. Instead, what we, and now I'm talking about our church, need to do is to act as a counterculture. <laughs> we ought to be the ones known for having the highest view of humanity in all of society. Because we see people for what they really are. We see them as image bearers of God. Not 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 accidents of evolution, not not thinking machines, but image bearers. See, the the church ought to be something really special in this world. It ought to be a place where where men and women are valued equally, not not pitted against each other, not uh, levelled and compared, but celebrated with all their differences. The church ought to be a place where other cultures, other ethnicities uh, are welcomed and valued not treated with the, the casual racism and suspicion that is so prevalent in our society. The church ought to be a place where Indigenous Australians are valued and heard, where their, their, their particular needs are understood and where their rights are stood for. The church ought to be a place where the same-sex attracted, where those with uh, transgenders are welcomed and loved and find community. The church ought to be a place where the disabled are viewed not as projects nor as patients but as people. Where their unique uh, gifts and abilities and and, and traits are are celebrated and valued. Where they're made part of community. The church ought to be a place where children are rejoiced in. (laughs) Where they're they're celebrated and valued and protected. Both the born and the unborn. Why? Why? Because all of these bear the image of God. And we ought to treat them as such. And so do you. You also bear the image of God. Whether you feel it or not, whether the world affirms it or not, whether your mind affirms it or not, you are an image bearer of God. (laughs) You have a place in this creation which is afforded to nothing else. You're not an accident, you're not unnecessary, you're not any less significant than anyone else. You are an image bearer. You are a special reflection of God in this world. Now it is true, you are broken. As am I. As are we all. We're broken. We're not working as we should. But, not irretrievably so. It's true, the image of God within us is fallen. It's fallen a long way. It's gravely obscured and disfigured but it's not so far gone that it can't be brought back. In fact, you want to know how good it can look? How beautiful and wonderful and amazing? Well, all you have to do is look at Jesus. This is what Hebrews 2 verse 14 says. Since the children, that's that's mankind, since the children have flesh and blood, he too... Shared in their humanity. See, something, something phenomenal is being, is being told to us here. Something, something incredible. We're being told the creator has stepped into creation. We're being told the author of this story has become a character. We're being told that God has become as one of us. That he has shared in humanity. We're being told that he's come to do it Right that he's come to fulfil what we've stuffed up, to to live as an image bearer ought to have lived, reflecting God perfectly. In Hebrews 3 we're told why. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers, again that's mankind, made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. See, what's that saying is that Jesus did what we were supposed to do. Jesus came and and he represented God perfectly, faithfully, like we were meant to do. He reflected God's glory, perfectly, faithfully, bore his image as we were supposed to do. And yet despite the fact that he did all of that perfectly, he still took the consequences that humanity deserved that we deserved. And he did so in order to save us from them. And this is what he gives to us, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. See, Jesus has come to save us from what we'd become. Not only did he come to fulfil what image bearing meant, to do it right, he's come to fix what was broken. He's come to, to remake what was warped and disfigured and, and, and twisted and to restore it. So you, you, you want to live up to this privilege that God has given us more fully? Then trust and believe in Jesus and he'll begin to remake you into what you were supposed to be. He is saving us, he is remaking us in order that we would bear God's image better, clearer in order that more fully we would live up to what we were supposed to be. But why? What for? Well, that's what we see in the second half of this passage. We see there the mission that God commissions us for. See, image bearing is not just about being. Image bearing is about being in order to be doing. There's a sending here. We see God's sending uh, in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Go out into this world <laughs> and have kids. <laughs> have lots of kids, in fact. Have more kids. Have so many kids that the whole earth is filled with kids who will then eventually become adults. Why? So that the whole world will be filled with image bearers of God. So that there will be people who reflect God moving through every part of this world, so that His glory, reflected in humanity, will fill the earth. That's what God's after here. That's what He's sending humanity for. How do we do it? Well, by subduing the earth. We are those who have been given rule, who have been given dominion over creation and as such, as those image bearers, we go out as representatives of him, ruling this world in God's name, subduing it. I, I don't know about you, but that's a different view of creation than what I usually had. <laughs> maybe you're like me, maybe you think, originally thought of creation as being perfect, which it was, it was good. But, but perfect and finished, you know, to, to be went out into and enjoyed. The, the idea of subduing creation is quite an unusual idea, isn't it? <laughs> but that's actually what we see. Uh, here's, here's one author, what he says. He says, The world that God handed over to Adam and Eve was not a dusty museum that needed to be preserved exactly as it was for millennia to come. No, it was an art gallery full of beautiful white canvases waiting to be made even more beautiful, by hundreds of mini-artists created in the great artist's image. See, the the world was created wild (laughs) and it was to be worked. It was created to be explored, to be subdued. We we were uh, sent on this task, this very good task that God describes. He gave us the whole world uh, as, as sustenance to do this task. Our role as image bearers is to go into this world, to subdue it to work it, to discover his resources, to bring order to it, to make it beautiful, to make it productive, to enhance it so that it is even more wonderful. That's what God was sending. That's what God is sending. And that's still our role today. To make the most of this creation. To bring order to it through our activities, through our work, We're sent to work it well, to make useful and good and beautiful things, to delight in this world and enhance it. We're sent to to do our jobs well, to, to build nice houses, to order companies to work efficiently and effectively, to raise children to live well in this world. All of our jobs are to bring order to this world and to make it better and good, even more so. So being, given Im- uh, being image bearers, being given rule and dominion is not a licence to pillage this world or, or to exploit it or to ravage it. No, it's ascending to enhance it and care for it as representatives of the one who made it. But, again, is that still True. Or maybe a better question is how is that true considering that the world is fallen? Considering that there's sin in the world? Well again Jesus has answered for us and he answered by sending us again. After his death, after the beginning of his saving and restoring of fallen image bearers, he again sent us and he did so in words which remarkably reflect what the sending here is. This is what we read in Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Do you see the echoes there? <laughs> go into all the world. <laughs> go, be sent. Make more. Fill the earth with disciples and do it in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit exactly as you were created in. Go again. Go again. See, what Jesus is doing by by echoing that language is saying, do this, do this new sending in order that you'll do the original one well. (laughs) The the, the two are inextricably linked here. I mean, maybe maybe we can look at it like this. Maybe we can look at it as if Genesis 1 was saying, go and drive this car. This car is good. This car works well. You'll be able to do it, drive it and enjoy it. (laughs) But now we look at that car and because of the fall, because of sin, that car's a wreck. It doesn't go. It's beaten up. It's broken. And so what the sending in Matthew 28 is then is fix the car. <laughs> Work on the car. Help it to drive in order that you can then drive it well. See, there's a link here. Go into this world, make disciples of God, that is worshippers of him who will bring glory to him and thus fill the earth with his glory. Do it under the name of the Father, Son and Spirit as you are created. Teach people to obey so that they will live up to what it means to be an image of God and a representative of him. See, we are still sent into this world. It's not like we sit here waiting or trying to make people come here. Where to go? And you don't have to go far. The world starts just there and over there as well. Start next door to your house at your workplace. That's where you are sent. That's where I am sent. In order to fulfil this original role of image bearers, to see this earth filled with the praise of God, filled with his glory. We do it by living well, but we do it chiefly by declaring him, by making more people who will live for him, who will give their lives in worship to him, who themselves will go out representing and declaring him. That is our mission. That is our sending. John Piper puts it well. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. (laughs) Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. (laughs) See, we are working to a day where missions won't have to exist because the earth will be filled with God's glory. But we're not there yet. And so we still work on this sending God has given us to go out and fill this earth that it would be filled with the glory of God. The goal is the same. The work is similar. There's just now an intermediate step. Win people back to God so that they can go and do likewise. We are sent to say to this world, live as you are intended to live. Come back to what you are created for. What, what you're doing now, you weren't meant to do that. It's hurting you, it's killing you. This is what you're meant to do. Live in relationship with God, worship him, reflect him. Come back to that. See, why are you here on this earth? Well, it's to work to this end. It's to, to make more disciples, to see the earth filled with a world of disciples praising God. Why, why does this church exist? It's for this, isn't it? To, to fill this earth with worshippers of God by making disciples. See, that is our highest goal. That's our God-given mission statement as a church. Make disciples. Fill the earth with worshippers. I mean, we, we do lots of things as a church but all of them have to fit under that banner. Making disciples, making followers and learners of Jesus who will worship him for all eternity. And that is what we as image bearers, as people called back in Jesus, are sent out to do. As we reflect God, as we represent God by calling the lost to him. See, above all things, what we want, what God has sent us to do is to see people rescued from futility, saved from the death that they are destined to rescued to the created intention that God had made them for so that one day they will be gathered around the throne of God in praise to him forever why do you exist why why do we exist it's for that see what genesis 1 says to us is that we are part of something big <laughs> we are part of something beautiful and eternal our lives, your life, it's not aimless, it's not insignificant, it's not unnecessary because you and I are created by God to especially bear his image in ways nothing else in creation can do. We are privileged to reflect him and to see this earth filled with his glory and his praise. So love life, love other image bearers and love him and go reflecting him and representing him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the immense privilege that you have laid upon us, that we can be called image bearers of you, knowing that we have been made in your likeness. Father, we realise that we have (coughs) fallen short of this terribly, that in us your image is Marred and disfigured. And yet we praise you that you didn't leave us there. You didn't abandon us, but instead you sent Jesus to become like us, to save us, and to begin that wonderful work of remaking us. Father, we thank you, we praise you for him, and we pray that you would help us to eagerly go on with the work that you've given us, that we would yearn to see this earth filled with your glory as more and more become worshippers of you. Father, give us courage and boldness for this task and we pray that in your grace we would see fruit, that many would come and be saved in Jesus and bring great glory and praise to you. In his name we pray. Amen.